Well, I think we can all agree that there are moments in life that will forever change your future self. And what I mean by that is those moments you can identify where, man, the second this happened, I was forever changed. Uh, the, the moment you became a student or realized you were a student of the world and there was more to explore and you could ask different questions and that could go in all kinds of different directions. But uh, you ask someone, what's their passion in life? And I got to imagine at some point there's this, this moment they learned there's more to what they, what they understood about the world. They wanted to learn and, and so they became a student of the world. You know, think about being a student, you know, as you go to each grade level, I can remember going from grade school to junior high was a significant moment, uh, and then going into high school and then college, and, and so you can, each of these defining moments changes us, right? I, I was thinking about this, and when you're growing up, when, when you learned a language, you may not have realized it at that time, but that forever changed your future self. So you could learn additional languages, but in that initial moment, you were defining your inner monologue. You were set in kind of the, the, the base language of, hey, I, I think in English, or I think in Spanish, or I think in Italian, or, or whatever you grew up with. There are other more uh, uh, identifiable moments in life that change everything, right? Maybe you're married. When you got married, that just you, all of a sudden you go from being whoever you are to whoever you are as a husband or as a wife. Or when you had kids, you became mom or dad, or siblings were added to your family, you became brother or sister or aunt or uncle. When you took on these titles, what you did changed, right? Before, you know, you'd walk through the store, there's certain aisles you'd walk right past, but now, man, you got to spend some time in the toy section because you want to be the world's coolest uncle or the world's, you know, greatest aunt. And um, it changes what you do when you get these new identifiers. See, our, our identity defines what we do. It helps inform, well, here's how we act and respond. And, and you know, imagine someone who's becoming a citizen of a country that wasn't their original country. And the second they, they take on that title as, as a citizen, again, that, that, that changes a little bit about who they are. You know, sometimes these moments are, are redefining, where it's like, man, I was going this way, then something in life happened, it completely changed my direction in life. Other times, they're just growth steps, Right? We can have these, these, these defining moments. It's, hey, just, it's, it's the next step in my journey. So I got thinking about this and you know, growth and, and these defining moments. And uh, the question that came to mind for me was this. When you become a disciple of Jesus, what changes? When you become a follower of Jesus, what changes? Well, what are those defining moments? What does that look like? And the more I thought about it, I actually started to think about, I wonder what my friends who don't know Jesus think about that question. I wonder how they would answer. What changes when you begin to follow Jesus? I wonder if they would think some things like this. Well, well once you begin to follow Jesus, you now have to give him 90 minutes of your Sunday morning and, and, and join together at church. And if that's too much, well, you at least have to give him Christmas, Easter, and whenever grandma's in town. You know, maybe, maybe that's one way the world says, so, well, this is what changes when you become a disciple of Jesus. I think one way people may think that your life needs to change as a follower of Jesus is you don't cuss anymore. Well, if you do, you at least feel guilty about it. Or, or you have to change words like you say, darn it, son of a bee sting, or frick and frickin'. A whole other sermon we could walk down is, is we still know what you're trying to say. So let's just think about that for a minute. Maybe you say, okay, if you become a disciple of Jesus, you know, you got to check your bank account because all of a sudden you have to go out and you got to buy a bunch of Christian t-shirts and bumper stickers. You got to make sure you're funded for that because they will know we are, G we are, we are, uh, uh, they, they will, a little, a little, a little, a little. 
<laughs> they'll know we are Christians by our T-shirts and bumper stickers. Uh, I think that's in, in uh, First Thessalonians. I don't know. Maybe you feel like, okay, once you become a follower of Jesus, you have to find a church where you can connect in with some other people, and, and then you can send out others to do the hard work of being a missionary, right? And they, they can go do all the heavy lifting. We gather together and have potlucks and, and, and gather around food because it's just something awesome to do. And so you may think of other responses, what other people may think, maybe what your thoughts were uh, when you saw people maybe come in a relationship with Jesus, or maybe if you've taken that step in your own life, what were your own thoughts? And maybe you ask, is this, is this truly what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus? Because I think sometimes we can boil down this thing called church and, and following Jesus, and we can boil it down to just a bunch of to-dos that we have to do. And they become just things that, you know, a, a checklist. Okay, well, I went to church this week, and I, I, well, I read my Bible, I picked it up a little bit, or I, you know, I, I read some on my phone app, or you know, I spent some time in prayer, and I've, I've, I you know, uh, went to a Bible study. We, we, we turn it into this list of to-dos. Well, last week we were in the book of, of Acts, chapter 1. We got into chapter 2 a little bit, and that's where we're going to be again here this morning. We were looking at these early days. So Jesus has, has basically uh, spent three years in ministry with his 12 disciples. And then he goes to the cross, and he dies, and then he's buried, and then he resurrects on the third day. And then he begins to appear to not only the, the 12, but other disciples as well. You know, we, had a, we, we see his term disciple. It's not just the 12 disciples, but there were others. Uh, you know, we see one case there's 72. Another case there were about 500. There's other people who are following Jesus. And so he's revealing himself to his disciples in, in person. They're seeing the risen Jesus for themselves. And he's teaching them different things and charging them with different things. And he gives them this great commission uh, to, to basically go and be about his work. And he says, hey, stay here in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's coming. So that was something we talked about last week, that that wasn't a common thing to have the Holy Spirit uh, dwell in all of God's people. It was this exception, but not the rule. And Jesus said, hey, this is going to be the rule. And there was prophecies in Joel that had foretold us the Holy Spirit being poured out on God's people. And so he says, well, stay here until that happens, and then he ascends into heaven. And so the disciples are gathered together, and they spend some time in prayer. And we, we, we talked about uh, how all of a sudden the, the, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. and had this, uh, in this specific instant, like uh, a flames of tongue that would hover over their heads, and they're able to speak languages that weren't their own, or at least they're able to be understood by those who spoke a different language. And this was such a scene that those who were around them said, these guys must be drunk. I, I mean, this must have been just, you know, hitting the bottle early, but... It's this, this wild scene going on. But see, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples, and, and their identity was forever changed. Who they were in Christ had already changed that. And then also the Holy Spirit's poured out upon them as Jesus gives them this charge to be my witnesses, he says. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the Holy Spirit's poured out upon them, and they were forever changed. Last week we talked about how uh, a few broken analogies. I understand these only go so far to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. We talked about how the Holy Spirit is like a daily meal. He strengthens us and encourages us for what's to come. We talked about how the Holy Spirit uh, is like tuning into the radio station. where We need to tune in and listen. We can tune into God's word and understand truth through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And sometimes that brings us to a place of being convicted or understanding God's wisdom. We talked about the broken analogy of how the Holy Spirit is like a coach who helps us uh, develop our skills. And, and the, the, one of the broken analogy aspects is that he gives us gifts 
I'm a coach, can this like, give you a skill that helps you to, to grow them. But the Holy Spirit gives us gifts and, and helps to empower us and equip us for the work that's ahead. So see, as Christians, we can say this. We can say, I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you repent, we see in the text it says, repent, be baptized, and the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon you. So then what do we do? We're empowered for what? What are we empowered to do? Well, quite frankly, to be, to be about the mission of God. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be about the mission of God. We saw this last, last week, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness to the work of God. Now you may say, Steve, I... I I wasn't there when Jesus rose again, and I didn't see what the disciples saw. That's okay. A lot of the people they were talking to didn't see it either, and that's why they were a witness to what they saw. And then we find, if we keep reading that, that many people came to Christ, basically said that they acknowledged that Jesus was Savior, that he was Lord and Christ. He was the leader of their life, and he was the Messiah, the one who forgave them for their sins. And then those people can go and share what they're a witness to. Did they personally witness Jesus risen again. Some did, some didn't. But there's still ways in which God worked in their life that they could be a witness to. Hey, we met this guy, Peter, one of the, one of the disciples. And let me tell you what he told you, what he told me. And here's the story he told me. Here's why I believe it to be true. And that's gone on for thousands of years, 2,000 years to where we stand today and can say, hey, here's what I believe to be true because of the witness of, the, of these people. And here's the evidence I look at and says, you know what? Yeah, I do believe this to be true. And then I see God working in and through my life. We touched briefly, we see in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Basically, when the Holy Spirit's in us, that it'll bring about a different kind of life. It'll change the way that we live and the way that we view the world. We'll grow in peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and things like that. The fruit of the Spirit. But we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness to the work of God. Another place we can look to see what is this mission of God all about is John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus basically saying to his disciples, I've been sent by the Father and now I'm sending you. And then right after this, he prepares them to be ready to receive the Holy Spirit. And he's sending us on this mission. What was his mission? He came to seek and to save the lost, to seek and to save those who weren't following God, who weren't walking with God. He didn't come with condemnation, but he came with a gift of life that when we trust in him, our sins are forgiven and we can be in relationship with the Father in heaven. Well, today we're the ones who are sent. And so if we're asking the question still, what are we empowered for? We can say we're empowered by the Holy Spirit as the ones who are sent out into the world. We're empowered as the ones who are sent. Another place we can look, Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All that we do should be done in the name of Jesus. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to make much of the name of Jesus. There are a number of verses we could go through to talk about what is the mission of God. But we see that he sent his son to seek and save the lost, to bring them to himself. He sent us to be a witness to that. And then he empowers us to go and do that. I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan. 
it makes for some great analogies. Uh, one, because the story is so rich, but because it spans so many generations, it's kind of one of those, um, it's a unifying thing when you talk about Star Wars for the most part. Uh, but when the Death Star plans were uncovered, what happened next? Well, a plan was put into, this is kind of a spoiler if you haven't seen any of the movies, but that's okay. They've been out for long enough. <laughs> a plan was put in place to destroy it. A mission was set before the rebels, saying, hey, here's something that we got to take down, because if, if this comes up online, you know, we're, we're, it's going to just mow over any resistance. We have to take this thing out. And a mission was put into place, and that was the rest of the movie. It was all about this mission to take out the Death Star. When the one ring that rules them all shows up in Lord of the Rings, what happens? That's one of the first things that happens in the movie, in the story. And then everything else is about the mission to destroy that one ring. Everything points back to that goal. All these other battles going on in different places, all were about this mission of getting this ring to a place where it can finally be destroyed. For those who are Marvel fans, I know this movie hasn't come out yet, but with Avengers Infinity War, when Thanos shows up, to get all the infinity stones and, and, and have all this power to rule the universe, what happens? Well, the protectors of Earth all gather together to be on mission to accomplish this common goal. And that's what the whole rest of the movie is going to be about, about this mission that they are on. Let's go back a few years. Jake and Elwood discover that a Catholic orphanage that they grew up in needs $5,000 to pay taxes. Otherwise, it's going to be shut down. What do they do? They put on their sunglasses and they go on a mission from God. And that's what the whole rest of it, it's about. The story is about, hey, there is something here to be accomplished, and that takes over life. That takes over life. I, I want us to understand this concept of a mission, because once the mission is clear, it, it dictates all that comes after it. it. It's an identity that we find ourselves in. Any prep work, any actions we take, any recouping time, any celebrating, any mourning, it all points back to the mission. And so if we're going to be empowered to be about the mission of God, we can ask ourselves as we look at our lives, for those who are followers of Jesus, does my life look like that? Is all my life on mission for God? Is all my life about coming back to what God has called me to do? And we may jump to these conclusions. Oh, Steve, you're saying you would be the guy on the street corner with the megaphone. Well, let's look at the life of Jesus. Was he the guy in the street corner with the megaphone? His whole life wasn't always just preaching and talking, calling people. But he spent a lot of time in relationship with people. He spent a lot of time loving others and caring for others. He spent a lot of time with the Father. He spent a lot of time calling people to the Father. And so part of that, yes, was, was preaching, was sharing the good news of, of, of God and, and what was being done here and calling people to the Father. That was a piece of it. And so I really want to break us free from this. Well, okay, so if we're talking about being mission from God, that means that I have to always be evangelized. That's a, a church word for sharing the good news of God with someone who's never heard it before. Now, I want to break us out of that singular focus and say, if we're on mission for God, that just means our life is orientated in a way that we are on mission from God. That everything we're doing, we're thinking about that. I don't want to oversell this, but it's one of those things where if you think about our, our health, maybe you set some new goals this year. I want to be healthier. I want to you know, um, lose some weight, gain some weight of muscle mass. So I want to, uh, you know, some healthier eating plans and my, a better diet. 
And maybe it's just because I just want to feel better or I just want to look better. But if we're really living out on mission from God, maybe there's a piece of this where it's like, hey, you know what? I, I, I want to be around as long as God will allow me to be around so I can share with as many people as I can and be a witness to what God's doing in my life. Something as simple as just our diet or how we live in this life. It all comes back to are we living on mission for God? For those who are disciples of Jesus, we know that we're on mission, and we know that this mission is more than just these 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's more than Christmas and Easter and some Sundays in between. The mission of God is in every day, every hour, every moment, all that we do thing. Last week, I introed our morning talk, uh, talking about how we all have a desire to be a part of something greater than ourselves, right? We have this desire to, to, to have influence beyond just our, our, our own person. We want to, it's just one person. We want to make some kind of lasting impact on this world. We talk about how God has empowered us and invited us to be about a mission that will change people's lives. So the question is do we receive this amazing offer, this amazing gift, this amazing identity? If we do, then what do we do with that? Yeah, I think a lot of us can get to a point where uh, for those who are followers of Jesus, say, you know, okay, I, I'm with you, Steve. I understand that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. I understand that, that, that life is supposed to be the mission of God and everything. Should be, but what, is that, what does that look like? So if it's not the guy on the street corner with a megaphone calling people to Jesus, so, so what does it look like to live on life, to live a life on mission? See, I think sometimes we want to compartmentalize this. We want to break it down into bite-sized pieces you know, how do you eat a 32-ounce steak? One bite at a time. The joke's always been, you know, for the kids, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Which we, 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 let's make this manageable. What's it look like? And that's, that's a good thing. That's okay. But sometimes as we're managing, we, we kind of put it into these boxes and we go back to our to-do list. We want to control and, and, and understand this and, and make it something easier to do. And so, okay, well, attend a church today. I can check that box. Or, you know, uh, we're here at the first Sunday of the year. Man, I got one on, you know, I'm one of one, 100%. Awesome batting average for the year. Um, you know, we can, we can check that box. Okay, you know, I, I studied God's Word this morning or, or this week. I spent some time in God's Word. I can check that box and um, okay hey I, I gave to this charitable contribution uh, to the church or to the organization I can check that box and, and so these are some things that we, we do as being on mission but we, we boil them down to something as simple as just a, a box to check and we lose sight of the, the greater purpose and, and the greater significance being a part of a fellowship of believers a community of others who are on mission for God and studying God's word and knowing what it says and being generous in our giving this is a, this is greater than just checking a box imagine you were gifted your dream car i mean i don't know what it is for you just whatever your dream car is someone just gave it to you if you don't have a garage they even gave you a garage to put it in to keep it out of the elements and so imagine every day you wake up you go sit in the garage, you open the garage, and you go sit in your, your dream car, and you make the coolest car noises that that car could ever make. You're putt-putting with your mouth or whatever it is. You're shifting through the gears, and you're doing all the dials and the gauges, and you're just, man, this is, this is just an amazing car. You spend all kinds of time in this dream car. And then you go back inside and go on with your day. Every once in a while, you come back in your car, and you know, and man, you, you just do all kinds of, you're an amazing driver as you imagine yourself driving this dream car. Well, so I think sometimes 
that's what it's like with this, this trying to live on mission for God. It's we, okay, so yeah, my mission for God. Okay, I got this, this Holy Spirit thing, but you know, I'm, just, I'm not quite sure what to do with it. And so I just do these things that I think it is, but we're not turning it on. We're not applying the power that is available to it. Imagine what a different experience that was if you gave someone a car and they just kind of did that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden you tell them, hey, you can turn this on and take it for an actual drive. What a different experience. And so... The call this morning is, okay, let's get away from just checking the boxes of, okay, I went through the gears, and I turned the dials and whatnot, and I turned the wheel. No, let's tap into the power that God has made available to us and take this mission for a drive. If you got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Remember, Jesus has just charged his disciples to be his witness. He's ascended into heaven. They receive the Holy Spirit. It's this crazy scene. People are saying, oh, they must be drunk. And he said, hey, it's, it's nine in the morning, okay? They haven't even started yet. They're not drinking. Um, that's what Peter says. And, and people are hearing them talk about Jesus in their own tongue. And all of a sudden, Peter takes this opportunity with this crowd gathering, and he starts to preach. He talks about some things that the prophet Joel had foretold about the Holy Spirit being poured out upon God's people. He said, hey, this is that time. We are in that time right now. And he begins to testify to what he knows to be true about Jesus. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, Acts 2.32 is where we're going to begin. Acts 2.32. I encourage you, if you haven't before, Acts chapter 1 and 2 would just be a great place. So just read through that in the week ahead. But Acts 2.32 is what we're going to look at here this morning. This is Peter speaking to the crowd. He says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He said, Hey, we are a, a test, we are a witness to the risen Jesus. He's been ra- raised from the grave, risen from the dead. And we're a witness to that. And what you're seeing here, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, this is what was prophesied before, and it's coming true. The Father is doing all this. Peter is laying out just a really kind of a neat outline that we could follow as we're talking about what does it look like to live on mission. Just in this one phrase right here, we see him doing a couple different things as we engage others. We've seen Jesus alive, he's saying. We are, we, we're just sharing what we've witnessed. We have seen the risen Jesus. Imagine how that would change you. Imagine the disciples, Jesus has gone to the cross, he's died, they've seen him crucified, he's buried, and they're like, what just happened? This is not what I signed up for, this is not what I was expecting, and then all of a sudden they see the risen Jesus standing before him. They're having breakfast with him on the shore, he's showing them the, his wounds. So this is Jesus, he rose from, the, we saw him dead, and now we see him alive. And they're sharing, the, the, we're witness that we witnessed that. And so they're sharing what they know to be true about the story of Jesus. And so we can do the same. We can share what we know to be true about Jesus. Depending where you are in your journey with God, it might not be a lot or it might be a lot of stuff. But we can always share what we know to be true about Jesus. And then he says, we've received the Holy Spirit which God has promised, Peter's saying there in verse 33, which is a good reminder for us when it comes to engaging others with the mission of God. It's this reminder, remember, that we are empowered by God for the purposes of God. So share what you know to be true about Jesus. Remember that you are empowered by God. And he says, this is what you've been witnessing. What was prophesied in Joel is what you're witnessing. Basically, hey, you're seeing the, the, the life with God live itself out right in front of you. 
And so others get to see the work of God in and through you. So we share what we know to be true about Jesus. We remember that we're empowered by God. And as we live our life in that reality, others get to see God in and through us. It's a pretty amazing thing when you stop and think about it. But again, we try to label everything, put it into a a box and sort it and catalog it and store it and control it. Uh, um, A church word for what Peter's doing, I I mentioned this earlier, is called evangelism. He's he's sharing his faith. He's sharing with those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, and you know, we try to say, okay, well, then he's going to do other things too. He's going to go and he's going to do some discipleship as he's pouring into others, and then he's going to learn from others as well. Then he's going to do some fellowship a little bit later where, where he's going to meet with a bunch of people around a meal, and then he's going to do some quiet time where he, he gets alone and he spends some time in prayer. Yeah, these are all good things, but we always try to break them up into these momentary things. But see, the, I want you to see in broader terms. I want you to see yourself for those who follow Jesus as you're called to engage in the mission of God. Let us see our lives with the same laser focus of Peter. Hey, there's a lot of people here, guys. And there's something going on here. What should we do? Hey, let's tell them about Jesus. That, that wasn't his first, It was like, hey, people are gathering to see what's going on. Here's an opportunity to make much of the name of Jesus. See, we have those opportunities in our, life, our lives as well. If we live a life that's on mission, People will see God in and through us. And they'll be asking, hey, you know what? Why are you always so happy all, all the time? I mean, it's, it's, you get a real joy in you. Well, if I could be honest, I think it's because of my, my faith in God, my faith in Jesus. I got an audience. We share about Jesus. Hey, you know, at work, everyone else is always cussing up a storm, but you, you don't use those words. How come? Well, I used to, but here, here's a change that God made in my life. It's probably a bad example. I don't just think that... Being a follower of Jesus isn't just about not cussing. That's a whole other sermon there. But you see this life change that happens, and people notice that. And that's an opportunity to share and make much in the name of Jesus. That's all Peter's doing. Hey, there's a scene going on here. Let me tell people about Jesus. They're interested. Let us live a life with that same laser focus. Following God is not a task for us to complete, but a life to be lived. Jesus himself, as we said before, he didn't spend all his time only preaching, but he also spent time loving others and caring for others and meeting the needs of others and spent time with the Father in prayer. So Peter continues preaching. He quotes some of Psalms from David, and he gets to this point. He's talking about what he knows to be true about Jesus, what he knows to be true about the people who are asking these questions, and he, ends, he wants people to know that Jesus is Lord in Christ. It says this in verse 20, or 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So I want you all to know, I've seen it with my own eyes, that Jesus is Lord. He, he is God. He is the leader of our lives. And that's the position he should hold in our lives. And he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who has come to save us. That's what he wants people to know. He is the one. Jesus is the one who eternally saves us from our sins. I think there's a, a number of us here this morning, and, and we're all in a different spot right now. And that's okay. That really is okay. Our heart here at Meadowlands, we want to help take you uh, the next step on your journey, whatever that is. And so for some today, you're like those who heard Peter. You're like the audience, hey, what, what's going on, okay? I'm, I'm seeing something going on, and, and you hear Peter saying, um, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. 
This would be a passage I want you to zero in on. Verse 37 says this. Now when they heard, this is referring to the audience, when they heard this, the, the preaching of, of Peter talking about what he knows to be true about Jesus, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Hey, this offer is to everyone who will listen. God has made himself available to you. If this is the first time you're hearing about the story of Jesus, let me make it very clear. God sent his son to come and walk in our shoes, to live a perfect life because our sin, which is a word for means the ways that we've gone against God, the ways that we've lived our own desires instead of the desires that God has for us. That sin, the ways we've rebelled against God in one way or another, large or small, separates us from God. It causes separation, division between us and God. It's Old Testament. One of the things they would do is they'd offer a sacrifice. A blood of an animal was shed to pay the price for those sins, but that was always a temporary thing. And so God, knowing that he wanted us to be in relationship with him, made a way to be sufficient. He sent his son to live a perfect life. That when Jesus went to the cross, we've heard the phrase that he was the sacrificial lamb. He was that, that animal whose blood would be shed. He would take the place of that so that, that way we don't have to have our blood shed. We don't have to experience an eternal death because Jesus went to the cross in our place. He paid the price for our sins. And then we get to take on the righteousness of Jesus, which is an amazing thing when you stop and think about it. When we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, basically that means that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That is something that I've understood for a long time and I've, I still struggle to accept. Because I, I, I know what a mess I am. I, I know where my, my shortcomings are. But let's go back to that song, Give Me Faith. Are we going to trust every word of God? Are we going to trust God that when he says, hey, trust in my son Jesus and you will be made righteous? But that's, that's the good news of Jesus, that we are made right. <coughs> I know we live in this life still where that we, we continue to sin, and the blood of Jesus continues to, to be sufficient for that. And so we, we continue to repent and turn from our sin and, and follow God. And it's this constant reorientating ourselves. We focus on Jesus. But when we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, our sins are forgiven. We're made right with God. And we take on a new identity that informs the life ahead of us as we live on mission for God. So for some of us, we need to take that step for the first time. We need to repent and be, be baptized. That's, you don't need to wait on that. That's something you can do right now. Something if you're not ready, you can do later too. But repentance is a turning and going the other way. So turn from your ways and going God's way. It's receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just do that in a simple prayer. Acknowledge, God, I am a sinner. I repent from my sin. And Jesus, I believe you are God, and I trust in you for the forgiveness of that sin. Do that and be baptized, Peter says. We have our next baptism gathering coming up on Easter Sunday, which is about two and a half months away. And if this is where you're at, either if this is, you know, first time you're making this choice, or you've made this choice before but never been baptized, I would invite you and strongly encourage you to come and be baptized this Easter. If you're jazzed and you're just so pumped about this, hey, Steve, I don't want to wait for Easter. Fine, we'll baptize you before. We'll fill the trough. We have a big horse trough we fill up. It's pretty awesome. Fill it with water. We dunk you. Everyone cheers. It's an amazing thing. It's kind of weird. I get that, but we'll explain that later. Um, it's awesome. 
So come and be baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus or you're for the first time making that decision in your life and not been baptized, let's get you baptized. Repent and be baptized. That's for some of us here this morning when we hear about the truth of Jesus. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, uh, kind of wrap, sums up what Peter did. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added, uh, added that day about 3,000 souls. It doesn't say how many people were there total. But the fact that this is a number instead of all of them, my guess is that some of them didn't follow. Some heard Peter's words but said, nope, not for me. Or not for me right now. Or you know what, I still have some big questions. I hear what you're saying, Peter, but there's some things that still sit in my heart. That might be where you're at. You might be in the crowd hearing someone talk about Jesus, and you're like, you know what, I'm just not me yet. I still have some big questions that I'm seeking answers for. Um, You know what, I still think the way that I live my life is just fine. I'm going to be okay without God. Or maybe you're just stubborn like me and just don't want to admit your own need. You don't want to come face-to-face with the fact that, you know what, I I can't do this on my own. I can't deal with my own eternity on my own. I'm not strong enough. I've already fallen short. Whatever keeps you from acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Christ in your life, I'm not sure what that is, but please hear this. You are so invited and so welcome to make Meadowland a place where you can explore that, where you can ask those questions. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not believe what we believe. It's okay to ask tough questions. We want to walk with you in that, on that journey. Our heart is to see all come to know Jesus, just like Peter. He's sharing what he's seen about Jesus, what he knows to be true, and his heart is that all would come to Jesus. You're still very much welcome to be here. Maybe you're like one of the disciples. Again, remember, there's the 12 disciples, but it's broader than that. There's many who have uh, seen the risen Jesus, and, and now there's many more who just uh, made a decision. 3,000 were added to their number that day. Uh, and so there's more who are trusted in Jesus, who, who see themselves as a disciple of Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're someone whose life has been transformed by the true story of Jesus resurrected. Maybe he is your identity that informs everything else. Maybe you've gotten to a point, though, where you're kind of, you're seeing all these things you do as, okay, these boxes to check or these things I accomplish. And we need to be reminded that, no, no, we're we're on mission. We're on a mission from God where we're sent out to engage the world with the good news of Jesus. Jesus is our identity that informs everything else. And the mission of God is our life. We've been sent by him. And so when we understand that, also that redefines, it helps us to see a little clearer the things that we do. Church isn't just this place we go to talk to some people or try to avoid not talking to some people. I'm not sure how it works for you. But church isn't just this place we go for 90 minutes. But hey, I'm living on mission for God every day. And so you know what? I need help staying on track. I need help to be encouraged. I need some good reminders of why I'm in this fight when it gets difficult. I need a team around me. I I need to not be solo. Uh, God doesn't call us uh, to to be a lone ranger. He doesn't call us to be a Chuck Norris and take on the world all on our own. He calls us to be a part of community. And so that's why I gather. That's one of the reasons why I come together uh, is because, hey, I, I need to be refocused. I need to be reminded of that. I was thinking as we were singing the song, Give Me Faith, we're going over and over through the praise chorus. Some who maybe are, you, know, you may say, why do we keep repeating the same thing over and over again? Well, we see in, in, in heaven, it's going to be holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. You see the angels are just singing that over and over. So yes, there'll be other things too we can sing, but there's going to be this, this repetition. And, and honestly, I started thinking about that. I thought, 
Think about your favorite story, your favorite book, your favorite song, your favorite movie, your favorite TV show. How many times have you watched it? I couldn't tell you my answer because it's too many. And if I could count it, there's a little part of me that's kind of ashamed to say I spent that much time watching it. But there's these things, hey, this is just something fantastic. I want to keep repeating, I want to keep repeating. And, and we need to be reminded of that. So I gather together to be reminded of the mission of God that we are on. I get distracted easily. My wife and I had an opportunity for a date night yesterday. And, and you know life is getting interesting when your date night consists of a trip to Target. But that was a part of it, and it was awesome, so leave us alone. Um, but we're going down the aisle, and all of a sudden, my, my, my wife kind of moves to the right, and I'm pushing the cart. And so I, I you know, dart to the right, going down the toy aisle, because, of course, I'm thinking that's where she's trying to go, is down the, toy, the, the Lego Batman aisle. Okay, so that's where I'm I figured she saw something, and, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, well, I thought you were going this way. She's like, no, I was getting out of the way for the guy coming down the aisle. I'm like, oh, well, I saw something and wanted to come. I was so easily distracted. And that's life, Right? We can get so easily distracted by all these things that we need to gather together and be reminded that we are on mission. There is a purpose that God has called us. There's a purpose that God has saved us. There's a purpose that we are still in this world with all its brokenness, with all its difficulty, with all its challenge. There's a purpose that God hasn't brought us to eternity yet. It's because there's other people he wants to be there who aren't there yet because they don't know the news about Jesus. And so he calls us and empowers us with the Holy Spirit to go and share that truth with others. And so maybe that's where you're at today. You just need that reminder of, hey, you know what? Yeah, this is why we do this stuff. No longer is life in Jesus focused only on Sunday morning or midweek event, but man, this is, this is, these are those encouraging, these are those bumps that help me kind of stay on, ta- on target, stay to task. Acts 2 finishes with, with a beautiful passage here. It kind of says, here, here's what happens after all this takes place. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You just see, when they built their life on Jesus, they continued learning from each other. There was fellowship and communion and prayer. They shared as there was need. They attended a temple together. They did life together. They spent time in each other's homes. They praised God together. It's so easy to get distracted from the things of this world that will try to shift our focus and our foundation from the great mission of God. But we need to come back to that and lift each other up and, and, and remind each other, hey, we have a charge ahead of us. And if that seems daunting to you, I want you to focus on that last verse. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It doesn't say Peter added. It doesn't say any other disciple's name. It doesn't say person you met at church who you think does this whole Christianity thing better than you. No. It says and the Lord added their number. What's that mean? It means he's going to do all the heavy lifting. It means he's going to do the hard part of changing people's hearts, of softening hearts, of bringing someone to a place where they can hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus, say, yes, that's something I want. It's not our job to change someone's heart. 
It's our job to be a witness to what we've seen Jesus do and to live a life on mission for him. I'm over time, so I've got to stop here. But church, just hear this. Live in this reality as we step into a new year, as we put a mile marker in the road and say, hey, 2017 was the year. We got a new one ahead. We're, we're, we're looking forward to what God is going to do in and through us as individuals in and through us as a church. Know this. You have been empowered to engage people with the true story of God in your life. You've been empowered to engage people with the true story of God in your life. We are on a mission from God. Let's get about it. Father God, we thank you so much for the work that you do in our life. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you promised to do all the heavy lifting. We thank you that you promised to empower us and equip us. Father, I just pray that if nothing else, this morning we would be energized and, and, and encouraged to go live a life on mission, to move aside from a, a checklist and things to do, to just say, here is who we are. Fill us with your spirit, Father. I pray that the, the, the fruit of the spirit would make itself uh, more uh, evident in our lives as we are filled by you, Father. Help us to tune in and listen, to listen through your word, to listen through study, to listen through conversation with other believers, to be sharpened in our gifts. We thank you that we, we are given gifts. Help us to understand that and to use them to make much of your name. Thank you that you equip us and empower us. Thank you that you call us to yourself and that you put us on mission until you call us home for all eternity with you. I pray you would expand our hearts for others. As you sent Jesus to all people, he now sends us to all people. Help us have a greater understanding of that as we think of our neighbors, the ones we like and the ones we don't. As we think of our coworkers, the ones that we are excited to see and the ones we tolerate. As we think of our family, uh, the ones that we love and hold dear and the ones that kind of frustrate us a bit. Whoever comes to mind, help us to think of them with love, love that is empowered by your Holy Spirit, that we live a life that makes much of you and reveals what we know to be true about you, Jesus. Equip us and empower us for your purposes for our good and for your glory. Praise on your name.